Welcome to Reboot Ed, the podcast where we talk about big ideas in education and hardly ever come up with any answers. I'm Mike Vollmer, your host. Uh, Andrew Schwab, my co-host, can't join us today, but we're very, very excited to have Jerome Berg from Google Lit Trips with us. Jerome, thanks for uh, taking the time to talk to us today. It's my pleasure, Mike. Um, I had the chance of, of finally meeting you face-to-face at uh, the Leadership Development Institute for Q, um, but we didn't get a whole lot of chance to talk there because it was a pretty busy agenda. But uh, we did get a chance to kind of finalize the time to get you on, and I really appreciate you taking the time. Um, Google Lit Trips is fascinating to me from a couple standpoints. Obviously, the educational side of this is really cool, but then I'm really curious to hear from you about why you started it and and what the evolution of this has done. So tell us a little bit about Google Lit Trips and and how it got started. (laughs) Well, um, I happen to have been invited to be in the, uh, I call it the guinea guinea pig crowd for the very first Google Teacher Academy in uh, Mountain View because I happen to live across the bay from Google and um, when I went there I didn't know if I'd joined a cult or whatever I don't know I'd been an Apple distinguished educator and this sounded like a good thing and several of my friends were uh, invited because they they live nearby and um, when I was there at the Academy what they did is Teacher, uh, the, the Google Teacher Academy or Institutes, I'm not sure what they call them nowadays, but uh, they were showing us all of this, all of their products, which was a pretty small line in 2006, fall of 2006. And when the guy from Google Earth got up, he was showing, he, he, he was one of the developers and he broadcast Google Earth on the screen and I, I'd played with it. I thought it was invented so that I could find my home. <laughs> but there was a line across the screen, and they'd already asked us. You know, they'd already said we'd like you to commit to uh, doing some advocacy for us before the end of the school year, and that made me a little bit nervous because I was already doing a lot of stuff for Apple at the time. And I said, "Well, what's that line?" And he said, "Well, that's the path tool. You can draw lines anywhere you want." And uh, a lot of people might know Diane Main, who is very active in uh, in uh, all of these worlds that we're all kind of interacting in. She was sitting right next to me, and I said, I think I've got one of the advocacies. I've taught Candide a hundred times over the last 30 years. I'm just going to mark his travels on the surface of Google Earth. And it was that fast. It was just a second, and uh, she thought it was a pretty good idea. And so I went home and started uh, marking all of Candide's travels. And um, I thought this was pretty cool, and I was just playing around with it between uh, the fall and Macworld in January in San Francisco. And at Macworld, I uh, was taking a pre-day workshop, uh, and one of my other dear friends, uh, uh, Carol Ann McGuire, that many people know, uh, was sitting next to me, and I says, hey, you want to see this thing I'm diddling around with? And I showed it to her, and she said, what are you going to do with it? And I go, I don't know, I just give it away to whoever wants it. And she said, you have to go home tonight and buy a URL, which I had never done before. And, you know, I just thought, well, you know, teachers make up things, and then they share them with whoever likes it. So, But Carol Ann, Carol Ann's got some passion and some enthusiasm, and it was a two-day workshop, so I knew I couldn't get, come back the next day without finding out how to buy a, 
domain name. And <laughs> I went home and uh, we had purchased them at school through GoDaddy. So I went there and said, well, what do you want? And I, I wasn't too serious. So I made up this joke calling it, uh, coming up with Google Lit Trips because I figured, well, if I give it away, people can say, I could ask the question in every one of my talks, uh, hey, if you want to know about John Steinbeck's uh, Grapes of Wrath, what would you do? And they would, and I would prompt them to say, well, I'd Google it. And I'd say, oh, Google it. You've heard of my website as Google it, not Google it. Nice. And so I was about that serious, <laughs> and I bought it. And so in trying to come up with the second advocacy, uh, a few of us who were there uh, at that very first uh, uh, Teachers Academy uh, decided, well, we'll try and put on some summer inst uh, summer workshops for Alameda County Office of Ed and Marin County Office of Ed. And I spilled the beans that I'd been working on this thing and diddling around with a work uh, with a uh, website because that's the only way I could figure to give them away was to put them on the internet. And that leaked out to, and uh, on March 7th, uh, my little counter on my website jumped from like 440 over five months or so to like over a thousand in one day. And I couldn't figure out what it was. It turns out that one of the people had leaked that I was going to talk about this little project I had, and Will Richardson had picked it up. And I had no idea who he was at the time. Uh -huh. Boy, does he have a lot of followers. <laughs> <laughs> By the end of the month, I had 5,000 visitors and two lit trips to share. It's sort of like trying to sh uh, inviting people to a party and everybody shows up while I'm just it, getting out of the shower and haven't put food out yet. And you were just expecting a couple close friends, right? Yeah, and I knew there's only five people who know about this. In fact, the the 400 hits that I had at the beginning of that day were all me because I was tweaking the website, then I'd go look at it and tweak it and go look at it. <laughs> so we're now at close to 3 million uh, visitors to the website, and I have been running to play catch-up ever since. And uh, when you say we, do you have some collaborators with this now, or is this still pretty much the Jerome Burke show? Well, that's kind of an interesting question because um, I, I, I've won a couple of awards since then right off the bat. I mean, people were publishing articles about it in ISTE magazine and, and book things, and I'm trying to get a few more lit trips. Uh, I guess at first... I've always described it as sort of a, a paying it forward gift to my senior high school English teacher who turned me on to uh, the real value of literature. And I figured um, he was a guy I dedicated my whole career to. It's like uh, I wanted to be for students what he had been for me. And so I'm going to be for teachers as I fade out of the classroom uh, what Mr. What Mr. K had been for me and share with it. Um, but along the way, it became necessary to, well, not necessary so much, but I was, uh, uh, one of the awards I, I won um, sort of led to a, an attorney doing pro bono work for me so I could become uh, tax exempt. And so now I use we when I refer to okay. GLT Global Ed, the official corporate name because I 
you know, I wanted to get away from having Google in the corporate name. It's not, they've allowed me to have it as, you know, as it is, and they love it, but uh, it's also hard to write grants if you have Google in your name. So <laughs> Google's got so much money. Why do you need a grant? Yeah. So the answer to your question is I started to say we as in I don't own it anymore uh, because nonprofits aren't owned by me. But it is uh, it is basically a program where uh, people started sit, sending me uh, lit trips, and I started inviting educators and through educators students to submit lit trips, and so uh, you know there are quite a few people who have volunteered uh, to uh, also contribute in a philanthropic sense to the project and to the profession. So it's we, but I'm kind of like a one-man show, keeping it running. Right. Um, and by the way, if if you're one of the possibly few people who's not heard of this before, GoogleLitTrips.com is a really cool website. Um, and you've got how many how many lit trips are on this now? I think we're somewhere in the neighborhood of 80 or so, and and also, I link out to lit trips created by a gentleman who teaches in uh, Atlanta, where he has his kids do lit trips that are essentially based on nonfiction uh, books that are also read in, in class. And I have about six in production right now. And I've also moved to trying to expand it beyond just tracking great literature with sort of pedagogical uh, content that stimulates sort of the kind of thinking we want great literature to do to saying, you know, the reason why that kind of literature is so popular is because all of our lives are our journeys. And so a lot of great writers have sort of created journey, uh, journey trips. And now I'm starting to invite people to write their own stories and then package them either as a uh, in a Google Lit Trip format, which are KMZ files that you open and read in Google Earth, or the brand new Google storytelling site that I'm incredibly excited about is Google Tour Builder. And I've had an opportunity uh, to actually work with, in fact, I even presented with one of the uh, developers of Tour Builder uh, a couple of weeks ago in Mountain View. And it's so much easier than working with Google Earth is at the moment that I think it's really going to be much more accessible for kids. Basically, I think second grade. In fact, I'm going to be doing 100 uh, third grade teachers in a couple of weeks on, on uh, Google Lit Trips. And I, I firmly believe that third graders can do this. So you're, you're envisioning trans, uh, transitioning from actually just using Google Earth the way we've kind of seen it for the past several years and and now adopting the tour builder kind of uh, front end to this thing will will all of that kind of curate onto the website the same way well it's uh, it's kind of an interesting thing because I'm also because I've presented at every single geo teacher Institute uh, for Google I wound up being a uh, founding member of Google's geo teacher advisory board and okay. so I just got back from Pittsburgh on when that Thursday uh, where we did uh, went Tuesday Wednesday we did an institute but on Monday we met as the advisory board and I can tell you this um, 
Google Earth is going to be changed quite a bit in the near future, okay. uh, modernized. And I'm in that position where I'm in that gray area where I have an awful lot of Google contacts, but I'm not a Googler. And so there are things that uh, have been dropped as what our advisor says is, I can put some points if you want to draw the, connect the dots. Yeah. Um, I don't actually know where they're going, but it, you know, it's pretty clear that, uh, that they want to make it easy. They want to make it collaborative. Uh, everybody's speculating that they may want to make it go online. And so the whole process is I'm going to do, I'm going to keep both strands alive uh-huh. uh, and, and sort of encourage people to, uh, to do both, but I don't know what building them is going to look like in the, when they get around to releasing uh, the new Google Earth. Yeah. So um, kids and teachers right now can kind of use this concept and they can create their own Google Lit Trips. You mentioned that you've got some in production now, so I, I assume there's some sort of uh, vetting process or some way that before it gets added to your site, um, do, you, do you authenticate it, check it against the book? What, what's your process for actually adding it to the website? That's really, I'm glad you asked that, Mike, because it's a very important question. People want it to be a wiki where anybody can throw anything up. In fact, there's an awful lot of people out there who think that the term Google Lit Trips is sort of a generic term, and they're building them, and um, which is, you know, the kind of flattery that is the kind of uh, copying of an idea that is very flattering, and I appreciate that. However, I want them vetted for uh, a couple of very important issues. One is pedagogy. I don't want this to become anything like, um, and I don't mean to malign spark notes or those kinds of uh, literary yeah. things, but it's possible to go to spark notes instead of reading a book. I've, I've mentioned my daughter's experience as an AP English student. I'm, I'm actually sending her off to college this year. Ah. And she's gone through four years of, of AP English in, in a world where the pedagogy was, um, here's a worksheet with all sorts of things that you need to tell about these great works of literature. Right. And she and her classmates figured out early on that reading the book is not the most efficient way to get a good grade on those worksheets and, and the product that the teachers were expecting. And instead, they go to Spark Notes or Wikipedia or Cliff Notes or rent the movie or <laughs> yeah, or any number of online sources, and they find all of the information laid out for them in terms of plot and character development and and you know those sorts of things. If they sit down and read the book and they have to deduce all this stuff on their own, it's a much much more uh, gooey sort of journey for them. Um, and when, you know, unfortunately, you know, we, we kind of put the emphasis, the emphasis on these kids getting grades and marching through these programs. And I, I, I feel terrible that she's part of that process because there's a lot of books that we've talked about a little bit, but she's actually never read them. Um, right. She got really good grades, but she's never really read the books. And I really liked seeing in your website that this isn't a shortcut that it's actually meant to enhance the reading experience. But the expectation is still for the kids to read the book 
and actually kind of immerse themselves in the author's uh, the author's journey in writing the book. Immerse themselves in that, and and uh, we you know the basic the basic premise is anywhere that's mentioned as a location in a story, we put a place mark, and uh, in the place mark there may be media links. Uh, that that go off to some historical reference that was made in the book. You know, when stories are set in real places, whether they're fiction or not, there's a reason for the real place being there. So uh, that place comes with terrain. It comes with uh, weather. It comes with uh, dust bowl kinds of effects and grapes of wrath. It comes with uh, history and, and tradition and culture. And so uh, what we try to do is say, well, that media can be used for anything to enhance three-dimensionalize it's what I like to call it three-dimensionalize the reading experience and we go out of our way not to actually summarize what was happening in this part of the book um, although when kids make a lit trip summarizing may be precisely what they ought to be doing because that might be one of the you know learning objectives or standards right your grade level but I don't want teachers telling them these are the these are the five plot issues. These are the main characters. That you know we we ask uh, discussion starters. I don't call them questions, but something that says here's something to think about in what you either are go about to read in flipped classrooms. It's kind of nice. A lot of teachers are using this as read the section of this. Or, you know, uh, take the trip for the chapters we're going to discuss tomorrow tonight. And, and check out what the Lit Trip says about it and get you pre-thinking about the kinds of questions that just don't have right answers or wrong answers. They have, uh, you know, higher level contemplative critical thinking responses where a pretty intelligent kid or a thoughtful kid can, can really build a uh, interesting conversation on either side of what a character might have chosen to do. And then we also try to end those uh, discussion starters with at least one discussion starter that brings it back to their own lives. So what's that got to do with me? I'm right. not going to grow up in 1930 when there's a financial depression and we're worried about immigrants. And I go, oh, really? Oh, uh, <laughs> hey. <laughs> exactly. You know, and building that bridge is really kind of the engagement point. Yeah. This is really about uh, discovering the real relevance of listening to these people's, uh, you know, art, these people articulating the great wisdom of that, that literature brings to us. So I kind of work on that side. I get a lot of IT people who want to do it and who don't necessarily know language arts and literacy uh, pedagogy, but they know the technology perhaps. I know a lot of uh, uh, language arts people, really good teachers, and they know what kinds of open-ended questions to ask or, or issues to raise, but they're not really uh, up to speed on, on a good use of the technology. For example, most of the ones I get, in spite of the fact that none of the ones I have on the website uh, are like this, are they just leave the traditional bird's eye view looking down on the Google surface. Yeah. Well, that's because that's what we're used to doing with maps, and we're used to having north at the top and south at the bottom and and east and west. But humans don't see that, and so just tilting the view, zooming in a little bit, uh, rotating the view, for example, in Grapes of Wrath, we rotate it so we're looking down Route 66, which means west is at the top. Yeah. 
the map, and we're looking at the, here's where we are, there's where we hope to be if the story works out the way we're hoping it works out. And so we're getting a time reference, we're getting what ling language arts teachers like to call uh, suspension of disbelief. We're trying to fall into the story as though I'm writing in that old jalopy sitting next to these people looking out the windshield or waddling around Boston with in make way for ducklings with for the little children's book or, or the other example I always use is sitting in that railroad uh, car with Ellie Wiesel uh -huh. night as he's being shuffled off to the concentration camps wow. putting people inside the story it's pretty easy to sort of begin to connect that empathy with the characters when, when, when you're well, taking the ride along with them. But that, yeah, and that, that suspension of disbelief is, I mean, that's a standard sort of uh, technique that we use in film too, right? Sure, exactly. I mean, if you want to get somebody engaged or engrossed in a piece of literature or a, or a film work or, I mean, a math project, it, it's really, right. it's, it's a matter of bringing that right into the students, uh, the, the students' experience and, and letting them immerse themselves as much as you can. You, you know, that's exactly right. And, and if, I, if you don't mind, there's a, a, a gentleman, Tom Petri, 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 Petra, who created realworldmath.org, and he essentially said, I love the lit trip thing, I'm going to do it with math. So he uses that same kind of structure to teach math at every grade level or to provide the resources. Um, and that's a, a wonderful resource. But the other thing about movie is what do you start with? A long shot, right? What's yeah. the scene? What's, and then you close in and you start meeting the characters and then you get into a conversation with the characters and then the movie starts. And that's, that's visual storytelling. And we use that as well. Most, most first views are long shots that say, oh, we're in the United States, or oh, we're in the South. Well, now we're closing in on this one spot uh, where the story starts. So set the scene, identify the characters, and then lay out the, uh, the general plot. Right, but we're not telling them yeah. any of that. They're seeing that as they start marching from one uh, place mark to the next, and the view gets shifted, because we can control the view. Yeah. So, uh, but that kind of gets back to your, we don't want this to be cliff notes. So exactly. still have to have the student kind of read, read the book and, and, and deduce where they are and what's going on by virtue of reading, uh, re reading the piece and, and, and then connecting that to what they can see from what you've done on the website. Right. And, 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 you know, the one thing I don't want, and there's a lot of, unfortunately, there's a lot of research suggesting that, as you mentioned, with your daughter, who's a perfectly bright person, uh, yeah. boy, they don't seem to be having time to do the reading. And so they're trying to right. shorten it because they've got all this other heavy stuff on their, on their plate. And so I don't want it to be things like, well, we're going to ask questions where you're going to have to prove to me that you did the reading. Because mm -hmm. that puts the kid back. That takes them right out of suspension of disbelief and puts them right into, this is really a test packaged differently. Right. Uh, and so, no, these are things to think about. And, and don't you have things in your own life that kind of are similar to the decision these characters are making? Yeah. I, and, and you mentioned Grapes of Wrath and, and these current issues we have with 
a stressed economy and sure. uh, issues with immigration and border issues and all that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah, going back and seeing how that was processed and addressed in the 30s and the economic factors that forced the sort of migrations that were taking place then. There's a lot of similarities in, in terms oh, yeah. of what's happening. There's a lot of similarities. And, and what's really nice is I, I kind of take the position, there's nothing that I am more honored by when a former student and I touch base and I discover that that student has become an English teacher. <laughs> Two of my former students are English teachers at the school I, where I taught for uh, 30, a lot of years. And, and that's very moving to me to know that maybe I did fulfill my promise to Mr. K, who I never made that promise to him because he passed away before I yeah. came up with this. But uh, I also don't think that I want to necessarily think that uh, teaching literature, the job of teaching literature is to make English majors. I think the job of, of teaching literature is to uh, get everybody discovering there's value in thinking about the stories that we read because everyone's a mirror of uh, somebody's life, fictional or not, caught in the same kinds of predicaments between bad guys and good guys and, you know, whatever it is. Right. And they fail sometimes and we get a look at their motivations and whether that works out for them or not. And so there's not the kind of thing that shows up on a common core standardized test, mm -hmm. but I also address that because, well, taking Grapes of Wrath again, they go through a Hooverville. Well, there's a link. The third element besides the media and discussion starter are uh, web links and supplemental information. So you can go out and say, what's this Hooverville business? And suddenly the kids are doing informational reading. That so that is a perfect Venn diagram with the uh, literary reading they're doing. Right. And so, then, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm thinking pedagogically as a teacher, as I have them go off and do that research, then the writing can kind of link back to exactly. what they know about these real places and what they know about how Steinbeck was using that in the context of what he wrote. And, and the storyline is um, as they kind of migrate through these sorts of places. That, to me, you know, and, and that hopefully is the kind of thinking and the kind of processing that we want to sort of elicit from common court testing. But, I mean, we'll Exactly. See. It's just a little difficult to come up with those personal connection kinds of questions. Right. The, um, you know, did the kid take some value from it? I, I can ask questions that ask him, him or her to demonstrate advanced literacy skills. Did you see that extended metaphor, and did you see that historical reference, or did you did you catch the, a theme? Um, but the best reading is like the reading. The, be, the best lessons come from, you know, Vygotsky, the zone of proximal development. It comes from that just touching where that kid can say, you know, what I've got a connection to that. My dad lost his job last year at, you know, during the during the crash, or or I saw this kid who just came to our school from uh, Mexico or someplace uh, being truly treated poorly at school. Uh, and they were making fun of him because he couldn't speak English very well. Well, you know, Steinbeck noticed the same thing. And, and, but he's putting you in the, in the 
he's putting you in the position of being the person trying to better your life and feed your families and have security and you're being the victim of the same kinds of things. So, sure. yeah. Yeah. Um, w one question I had, you mentioned, um, the, the real word mouth.org and, um, a math teacher who's kind of using the, the same concept as an old oceanography teacher. When I was kind of looking through the site and, 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 getting a feel for how this thing was put together with Google Earth. You know, I think about Steinbeck writing. I, he wrote a book that I used to have my students read called The Log from the Sea of Cortez, and it was a yes. journey that he took down to Baja, Mexico. Exactly. Are there science teachers that are doing this or history teachers that are doing this? And is there uh, is there any – are you working on kind of expanding from just a literature focus to other disciplines by – um, expanding the scope of the works that uh, get included in your site? Well, um, yeah, it's an interesting question. I, I've been toying with that idea that uh, what I'd like to do is create what we used to call on the Internet a ring, where there'd be a ring of websites, all of them connecting to each other or uh, endorsing each other. And so I would endorse Thomas's, uh, website where he's doing math, and I would endorse Carol Rose website where she's doing his uh, Google historical voyages and events. And then there are science people. I can't grab one right out of my head at the moment. Um, I'm pretty darn busy. I have uh, 1,100 requests for titles. <laughs> oh, jeez. Okay. Of, of literature, um, but with that ring concept. The other thing about that is I like to go cross-curricular in, in, in cross-curricular and cross-cultural. Mm -hmm. You know, so global, uh, reaching out for the global ed, you know, sort of interest in the 21st century sort of future of education and, and cross-curricular, which is very difficult sometimes to pull off in high school, <laughs> so to speak. Yeah. But there are math problems in, in Grapes of Wrath that trip. And, and there are uh, there are links to distribution of wealth uh, charts also in that one, and how come so many people have this, and how many so many people have this, and so I'm really bringing the history in, and if I can stick some math in there, that's great, and if I can stick some uh, cultural exploration in there, I, I just think that's wonderful, and and I don't actually. I don't actually use tell people to use these as prescriptive, uh, uh, like an like an application. An awful lot of people download it and say, "Well, I tried to watch it, but I couldn't get it to open." Well, that's you know, there this you have to have Google Earth, and I have a step guide for that. But I don't want it to be passive. People want to make the tour so I can sit and watch the thing. I'm saying, "Oh, we're going to take all the side trips that come into any teacher's mind." So um, there might be a teacher who has actually been an oceanographer, and I'd love to do the Sea of Cortez. Uh, That's a marvelous book. I, 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 um, and th there are others that I kind of thought of just, you know, from my old wheelhouse. Um, but um, Have you ever, uh, let's see, you're here in California someplace, aren't you? Yes. Yeah, right, yeah. On, the, right on the coast, uh, very close to the Channel Islands. So one of the things I started doing when they came out, when Google came out with its mobile version of 
of uh, Google Earth was trying to create um, walking tours. And the first one I did was down Cannery Row. Uh-huh. You know, of course, I've got an iPad that has uh, GPS in it, right, because it's a 3G. Most schools don't have that. Uh-huh. But I thought, yeah, I'm going to get ahead of the curve. And as you walk down the street, you go by Doc's Lab. Right, which is still there. Yeah. Which is still there. And I've toured that place. And it's as, just as I. blending of the science and, and the stories. And so, uh, you know, one, I just want to broaden things to everything because literature, geography is everywhere. That's its definition. And literature is everything. Uh, it, it doesn't limit it to just people who read it. It limits, you know, people who want to get rich and people who are inventors and people who are uh, in every field. Uh, yeah. Right? And it's always an opportunity to, well, this person said, oh, yeah, I went to this music academy. Oh, well, let's put a link down to that academy and people can go explore that. So I don't want teachers to say, tell kids, although I don't preclude it if that's their style, don't just tell your kids to go and just do everything and answer every question. Why don't you sort of decide how you want to build it in? And what's becoming very popular is this sort of flipped classroom concept that is having the kids read and and just kind of follow along in the lit trip the night before. And then class discussions just start, and it's okay. What you do with that math? What happened when you calculated that that cost of living uh, for the Jode family, uh, when six people had to work six hours to buy enough food to, uh, and we had a shopping list even in the story, uh, to feed their family for one day. And then they realized, oh, those prices aren't cheap. <laughs> those prices right. got six people, six hours to pay for one meal. This is, yeah. you know, so. Um, uh, and, and there's a whole economics lesson in, in that. Exactly. Kind of Exactly. And so there are no walls that I put there, although, you know, underlying it's that uh, the stage is geography, and that brings a whole lot to the story, and the primary focus is the story, but the story isn't limited to what are the themes and who are the characters and why should we admire John Steinbeck. Uh, We should admire him, but that's not the goal of reading John Steinbeck, that's why he's admired. Um, well, and I was going to say one of the one of the questions I, I I always used to ask my students is why are we reading this author? I mean, everybody mm-hmm. tells us Steinbeck's like the greatest American author, but my question is why? Why why him and not somebody else? What is it that he has done or shared or seen? Um, and a lot of students struggle with that kind of stuff. Of course, because they're looking to know what the right answer is going to be when they get asked that question. And I just think as important as it is to those students who may go off to be English majors or or anything associated, uh, I'm not saying it's unimportant, but it's a little misdirecting. Uh, I used to start every one of my classes uh, with, we're going to be reading a few stories, and they are essentially the Advisors, I want you to look at these authors as life advisors. They know you're not going to grow up in 17th century France and like Candide or, or the 30s uh, depression like Steinbeck or uh, hopefully not like uh, uh, 
nights um, uh, taking people off to the concentration camps, although this week's news is all about some very horrendous um, going on. And so it's the fact that it, it still happens, and these people were advising us not on their times and places so much as on the nature of being a human being and hoping that we are also wanting to be humane beings. Mm. And so, you know, that's what literature brings the wisdom. But it's not to be memorized, it's to be discovered. That is, yeah, that is kind of cool. And discussed. So um, from the standpoint of putting all this stuff together, when, when you have an opportunity to see what actually transpires with teachers and their students, what sort of changes in pedagogy do you do you kind of observe? Is it is it actually getting um, ingrained into various teachers' pedagogies to to change things in significant ways? And and if so, what do you, what are you seeing? So that's an embarrassing question for a live broadcast. <laughs> oh, sorry, <laughs> I didn't mean to do it that way. Um, you know, until I became a nonprofit, and that only happened last November, and until the demand got so big that I just couldn't manage it myself, I collected no data other than, holy mackerel, there are a lot of people blogging about it and writing articles about it and saying all these wonderful things about it, and write, you know, including it in books. And, you know, I collected a lot of nice things. That's all called... Uh, qualitative rather than quantitative data. And so um, I, all I can tell you is the people who communicate with me, I've started asking them questions that will at least start getting me that because I can't apply for grants. And, and now it's bigger than I can manage essentially efficiently. So sooner or later, it's going to get to the point where I need a lot. I need an income stream that will help me, uh, get people to to uh, create those kinds of surveys for me and and collect that data and and synthesize the data and help me sm- uh, streamline the process of getting more published. Um, so I don't have a good answer except for I have not found and I have a Google alert set for Google Lit Trips, and in seven years there has only been one negative blog post and thousands of positive blog posts. And the negative one, I I got a hold of the guy and and, uh, we talked and he actually retracted what he had said because he had taken it for, he had taken it at sort of a simple level that, that, um, you know, I just pointed out to him some, that there's depth, there's a real design to the, Discussion started a real design to the packaging of this. But to tell you the truth, I had nothing but overwhelmingly, almost embarrassing for a guy my age. I mean, I, I don't want to be starstruck and I'm too old for that, but <laughs> I can't believe, you know, like I said, like close in on 3 million people. Well, and, and it's global. I mean, this isn't just a phenomenon here in the United States that people are using this. Yeah, I think I uh, last documented was. Uh, uh, 143 countries. <laughs> yeah, that's phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. 
But that, I mean, so just on a personal level, how does that feel? I mean, you started this as a, a, just an outcropping of some conversations and kind of an idea that you wanted to play with, and and now it's like this huge tool or this this great resource for people all over the world. That that's got to have a sense of uh, personal gratification for you. Extremely, extremely. I am, I I am so honored by the fact that so many teachers have told me so often and so intensely how wonderful they think the resource is uh, that uh, I I just I just feel like I wish I don't know what I believe in in terms of whether Mr. K can be uh, uh, you know, aware of what's going on in, in wherever he may be. But metaphorically, I am so proud to be able to return that favor that he returned to me and gift it to uh, all the teachers who seem to find it to be very useful. And, and I was in Pittsburgh uh, last week at the Google Teacher Academy, and uh, I was the greeter on, uh, you know, people coming in and trying to, where are you from, and, you know, and what do you do, and why are you coming to a Geo Institute thing? And this one woman came up to me, and within a minute she almost had me in tears at her, not only her gratitude, but the story she told me was that she took the Lit Trip concept to ESL kids who were sort of being treated as, you know, the second-class learners. You're coming to our school, yeah. but we don't know you, we don't know your culture, and, and they were sort of invisible kids, and she had them doing personal immigration stories uh, and uh, sharing them, and they became real people in, in, to themselves, their perception of you know, who they were on campus, and to many of the kids on campus were just seeing them as, yeah, you're real people, and your stories are really interesting, and not unlike our own, and, and I was just like, you know, that's God, that's my paycheck, and you know I tell them, I don't take a penny of personal income out of this. Um, it's like a stealth project because you know, <laughs> yes, I, yeah. I use free stuff. Google fortunately loves it so much that I don't have to market it, and and. Um, that's my reward. Uh, that is, that means much to me that I can still contribute to the, to what's happening in classrooms around the world. Gosh. Oh yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable that, that's just incredible stuff. Um, and uh, you've, you've looking at your website, you, you've even got this thing curated into um, grade levels. You've got higher ed stuff. You've got kindergarten stuff. And teachers can go there and actually find works all through a, a student's educational career that are all, um, is this categorized by reading level or? Uh, well, when I began, you know, I thought uh, I have to have a place to give stuff away. And I, so I got the website. And then within about, uh, I don't know, within that first month after Will Richardson blogged, I got an e this is kind of a funny story. I got an email from a, a second grade teacher saying, you know, we created a lit trip and we're wondering if you might want to take a look at it. And I 
it never occurred to me that at the core of the concept, it's really a universally solid idea for literacy and literature teaching. And so I thought, oh, man, uh, second grade. Well, if it's second grade, then all the grades might be interested. And I started getting some su submissions. But that very same week, I got an email from a college professor, and I'll try to be uh, as obtuse as possible here, because I, actually it's seven years ago. So he said, I love your app, your website. This is fabulous. I teach graduate students. Is there any chance you're going to do Dante's Inferno? Oh. I said, well, I, I don't know that Google has mapped hell yet. <laughs> Purgatory is not on the map? Not on the map. Okay. But I'll tell you, outer space is, so I'm heading for mythology, too. Well, and, 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 and the uh, oceans are. Um, and the oceans on it. In fact, uh, they were showing us, I don't know if you've gone to uh, Google Maps view views. Yeah. They're doing all these three-dimensional uh, photography, full 360-degree uh, photography. In fact, I've just completed the shooting for four of those. They're not published yet, but a complete walk through the John Steinbeck uh, Center and Salinas and his childhood home and oh wow, Eugene O'Neill's home here in Danville. And uh, uh, I also did a one-room schoolhouse, but I'm sort of waiting to get those things officially approved and published. But uh, those are going to become a facet also of Google Literature, literary locations. And so when when I went through all the paperwork and the, the uh, permissions to do Eugene O'Neill's home, that happens to be managed by the National Park Service. There's a lot of paperwork there. And oh, yeah. As soon as they were kind of clued into what I was doing, the first thing they said to me is, and this house does not have handicap access to the second story. Uh, visitors can go there, but we've always wondered how we can share this with handicap, and we can't build access onto the house. And they were very excited to universalize the access to the upstairs for people who can't can't either can't get to to where I live or or um, or can get there but can't get upstairs. Sure. The same thing happened when I went to the John Steinbeck home, which is not associated with the Steinbeck Center, although they're two blocks apart. They don't let people go upstairs because the architecture just can't handle, the staircase just can't handle that kind of uh, tourist traffic, but they let me shoot upstairs. And so all of a sudden I'm solving their problem because everybody who goes there, it's actually, they run it for as a, as a restaurant and use the profits to maintain the home. It's a, they're a nonprofit as well. Uh -huh. Everybody says, can we go upstairs? Can we go upstairs? No, you can't. Well, now we're getting a kind of access that is just unbelievable. Kids can go on a field trip walking through all of these wonderful places virtual, virtually if they can. Yeah. Well, you, and you mentioned Cannery Row. I wonder if they would let you do that in Doc Ricketts' lab because it's that's a place that most people don't get to visit. They don't get to visit there, and um, I don't know. I have, I actually contacted them when I started this project. The problem with Doc Ricketts' lab is it's co-owned by four people privately and the city of Monterey. Uh huh. My friend at the uh, Steinbeck Center said, well, here's the guy you got to talk to. And um, 
basically he wasn't as enthusiastic as I'd hoped he'd be. <laughs> but I have shared my, I, when I went through, I met Michael Hemp, who's the guy who organizes all of those cannery row, uh, the trips through the docs lab. And uh, once I get these published, I'm going to go back. The guy, the guy from Monterey Museum said, maybe at a later date, we're kind of really busy doing other things and there's complications. So once I get done with these, I'm going to touch base with Michael Hemp and recontact them. And then I can show them what I've done. Uh, which might make it more inviting. Yeah, yeah. But. Well, and I mean, again, I'm just throwing my passions out there, but, uh, you know, my access yeah. is through the Monterey Bay Aquarium Education Department, but um, the the history that's down there and, and the, uh, the ties to the oceans were just kind of the sort of thing that I tried to get into my class back in the day. Um, but, but, there's no reason why they can't do the Voyage of the Beagle. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, there's some reasons in the anti-evolution corners of the world. But <laughs> well, the boat sailed. They, you know, yes. <laughs> they can't. I think it'd be hard to say the Beagle never existed. No, but you know, that, that would be. Uh, yeah. But anywhere you go. Uh, uh, I, my wife and I, you know, we want to get to the Galapagos Islands someday. It's a bucket list item. Uh-huh. That, that, and 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 the hike to uh, uh, Machu Picchu, right, are often in one package. And so that hike into Machu Picchu, and uh, I actually met some people who work for the Galapagos Islands uh, nonprofit thing, and it just seems like taking people there virtually, oh, particularly yeah. in a place like Galapagos Islands, which, you know, they have a real limited amount of uh, access to it. Yeah. Uh, would be just spectacular to, to stimulate science and and those kinds of ideas. And it would sell science not because it's on the test. It would sell science because science is exciting. Yeah, yeah, and it's real, and it's, and it's, it's there to look at. But if you don't have the chance to actually get there, right. these sorts yeah. of things are are, are – Clearly, the next best thing. And so, one of my first uh, published personal stories uh, is from a student uh, who had been invited to be on a uh, junior diabetes conference in Washington, D.C. And of course, you know, a lot, I've had a lot of kids with diabetes, and they do feel, whether they're treated this way or not, they do feel like they're not just the same as other kids. And, some of them keep secrets and some of them, you know, they're just not happy with having to take shots or whatever you have to do. Right. Well, she got to be one of two state representatives from her state. And she told a very simple story about going from where she lives to Washington, D.C. and meeting Mary Tyler Moore and meeting the president and, and getting to present in front of a congressional committee herself. And all of a sudden, her story is a personal story that was so meaningful in her life that I'm hoping that that becomes sort of tantalizing to other kids who have done something beyond what they ever thought they could do or would do and share it. And they'd all be sort of positive uh, experience. You know, I survived a terrible experience or I discovered that I actually could get to the top of Half Dome. Uh, yeah. You know, and uh, I, I see just... That'd be a wonderful, wonderful collection of stories. 
that that would be great from a number of standpoints. I mean, you know, yeah. just the informational side, but also the inspirational side. Exactly. Other kids to know that, hey, challenges don't preclude you from accomplishing your dreams. Um, right, right. And and going off onto that journey outside of where you have ever been, that's the story. And you always learn something and you always get rewarded if you start kind of noticing. Right, right. Yeah. So I, on Twitter, you're um, at Google Lit Trips. Um, it's googlelittrips.com. I'm starting to switch that to, uh, I haven't actually done it, but in my references, I'm sending, I'm, I'm referencing googlelittrips.org because I oh. have both of them. Currently, okay. .org just, you know, sends you to .com. Redirects. Yeah, but in, in this, and I'm getting a new, entirely new website is being designed. So um, it will have more capacity for some of these wonderful ideas that I'm envisioning and, and getting started on. Uh, but .com or .org will get you there. Okay, great. And and finally, um, you, you've got a vision for expanding this. Where where do you see this going in the future? In all of these directions? Do you have a plan uh, for how this is going to spread out? You're going to bring more people into the organization and the process, perhaps? Well, I hope so. That's where some fundraising might have to come in to bring them actually into the organization. Uh -huh. But... I, I want to open it to anything. If you'll notice on the website, matter, as a matter of fact, right now, I think in the right-hand column, down a little ways, there's a little uh, kind of a rotating uh, images. Well, that's a blog I keep that is essentially uh, reading about reading. And so one of the things I do most mornings is get up and I do – I just – search for interesting articles either on pedagogy or just that promote a love of literature that that can be shared with kids. In fact, I put one up this morning that it's kind of a cartoon that uh, um, that tells, you know, basically about eight plots in literature, and they all play out different ways. And uh, so it can be things that teachers might want to use or they might want to share with their students. Weird Al just came out, Weird Al Yankovic just came out with a song, with an album a couple of months ago. And, and uh, uh, <laughs> I'm just blanking on it, but it's about using language, using words. And uh, so I blogged about that. And uh, so, you know, a lot of language arts, a lot of teachers, no matter what the curriculum, I don't have time to be reading all the articles and all of that other stuff. I got papers to correct on. So I'm kind of acting as an editor coming from my point of view, this is what I'd do with this article if I were sure. uh, still in the classroom. Or I might use this to engage these kids. I mean, everything from fancy bookcases that people build and sell on different uh, different websites. So yeah. I'm trying to reach all things reading. Uh, a lot more nonfiction on the way, perhaps. A lot... Uh, maybe collaborating with my friend Tom, who's in doing the math uh, realworldmath.org to say let's bring something together here where um, we find a new territory to go but if I can make even the remotest connection that I think would have value to educators and students literary locations literary events uh, and, and literary games all kinds of stuff that says you know there's a lot of people out there that like this stuff for a good reason 
um, it's not just the storytelling, it's the, it's the sharing of wisdom and, and lives. There's a, I, I have a lot of articles on that blog going directly to research on what literature brings to uh, the world that is an add-on or the sort of counterpoint or the Venn diagram with information we're reading. It brings empathy. There's a lot of science. Stanford's doing some great stuff on, on, on neuroscience in literature. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Um, Interesting. Um, I can I can dig up those. Those are a little bit older, but I can find them pretty easily and, and send you links if you like to that. Oh, yeah. If if you would, please do that, and we'll uh, we'll put them up on the website so folks can refer to them. Um, and uh, obviously, we'll put the uh, the link to your website up so so people can get to that. Like they don't know about it already, but well, you know, I, I got to warn you about that. <laughs> My wife says, "Jerome, you're very very famous in a very small corner of the world." Well, <laughs> that small corner isn't so small, Jerome. Um, no, I you know I I appreciate that, but. Uh, I, I do. I don't know. I guess. I guess I'm a little modest about that side of the success. Yeah. Um, I don't want to be false modesty, but you know, because I'm very happy that that what I do know about its reach has been more than I ever dreamed about in my life. And, and its reach is phenomenal. Um, and I got to tell you, it's it's such an honor to get to talk to you, and and we very very much appreciate you taking the time to share with us. Um, this will uh, this will all go up on our on our website so that you know it'll be archived and people can refer to it again and and we'll put the links. So please do send me the uh, the research that you were talking about and uh, and we'll put that up also. And and uh, when do you suppose that'll go up on your site? Because I just might blog about it. <laughs> um, well, hopefully within the next week. Uh, okay. A lot of that depends on Andrew and his expertise because sure. he. When I try to put it up, he usually yells at me. Um. <laughs> well, I am, as I mentioned, and these aren't just empty words, I'm so honored that both of you contacted me and, and wanted to do this. And, um, you know, it, it means a lot that people that I have a great deal of respect for are out there uh, singing its praises. It's, well, it's, it's a hugely valuable resource for a lot of folks. Um, and, and I'm just... I, you know, I'm so I'm astounded and so impressed with the the quality of what you've done and how you've put it together. Um, I think it's a model for a lot of people's sort of uh, ventures into how we can share these things and how we can get them out there in really useful ways. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and and hopefully we can see these kinds of things grow and the impact on pedagogy continue to to move more towards a, a student-centric kind of exactly. quality uh, endeavor instead of just focusing on testing and factors. Well, there is a lot of research, and I don't know that I have that at my fingertips, but if I'll, I'll spend some time seeing if I can find it, that says, you know, if you really teach them the critical skills, critical reading skills to find the value of literature, they're going to do fine on those tests. They're, yeah. Uh, that in fact, the success on the test is sort of ancillary to what um, what the students are are doing in the classroom. 
um, it's it's not even the challenging thing for students to sort of demonstrate um, in in a small way. We, we had a uh, Joshua Davis from Wired Magazine on a while back, and he talked about some students in Matamoros, Mexico, where the teacher went away from the traditional pedagogical approach and and just started posing questions to the kids. And they got more and more detailed and more and more challenging. And at the end of the year, when they took the standardized test, the students were were hugely successful. They did exceptionally well on the test. But the student's concept uh, was, well, yeah, our teacher kind of told us to do it, so we did it. But it wasn't that fun. Questions weren't that difficult. wasn't that interesting. Um, but we took the test, and we answered the questions. Well, I don't want to leave your audience thinking that I'm against the tests. I, you know, I, I, I firmly believe that educators and their students need to be assessed for uh, you know, achieving what they need to achieve. Right. I just think that the testing and literary benefits is a little more difficult to design and may have a margin of error that, that may not be as solid as in uh, other areas. So I'm, I'm not opposed to it. In fact, that's why I really... As I mentioned, I really want to bring Common Core support through um, uh, all of my resources, you know, to speak about it, make sure, you know, we've had information reading. We're asking kids to potentially do some writing and speaking and making videos so that the media inside of their, their lit trips is actually uh, speaking and, and writing. Uh, right. And so... Uh, well, those practices, if, if the Common Core can kind of parse that stuff out, then I, yeah. think, I think I agree with you that the, you know, the process for students is a lot more valid and it's going to have a lot more meaning yeah. um, and probably be a lot more authentic in terms of kids demonstrating that they've actually got some proficiency with the kind of skills that we're talking about. Right, um, right. So, anyway. Well, hey, again, thank you so much. Um, I... I really, again, appreciate your time. Um, fascinating kind of environment that you've built, and uh, congratulations! It's a it's a phenomenal thing. Well, thank thank you so much, Mike. And our paths on our life's journeys are going to cross in the future. I hope so. I I really hope so. Um, mm-hmm. I will uh, I I will do everything in my power to make that happen. In fact. I, w- I want to talk to you about doing log from the Sea of Cortez. I'm just so right. by the process. So cool. We'll talk. All right. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. This has been uh, Reboot Ed Podcast, um, and uh, we'll be on again next week, hopefully with another guest. Thanks for watching. Music by Kevin Cloud.